In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It is so good to be back here at St. John's to the parish who helped me discern this path to the priesthood, to the parish who has supported and prayed for me in this journey, to the parish whose vestry has had to sign off on all necessary paperwork in approval of each step of the way. And yes, there have been many. I think I only have one more piece of paper for the vestry to sign before the ordination in June. It is hard to believe it has been four years since Louise pulled together the Parish Discernment Committee. These four years will culminate in June with my ordination to the priesthood, where the real work then for me begins. I don't know yet where, but the bishop has assured me that she is working on it. Again, thank you for all your prayers, love, and support over these past four years. In my internship parish where I serve as a seminarian, St. Stephen's in Ridgefield, Connecticut, we have been exploring the power of story, the power of story in our lives. Our living is our story, our lives. I'm gonna ask us today, as we examine this morning's gospel lesson, to give thought to placing ourselves in this story so that we get to understand ourselves more intimately and to understand how we are to live in the shared life of Jesus, of following him and trusting in God, a life rooted in the love of God, a life of all our desire pointing to and lived in God. Our gospel story today is from Mark. It's a story we all know of the temptation of Christ. But unlike Matthew and Luke, Mark provides very few details. First, we read that Jesus is baptized, and we get the first inkling of who Jesus is. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Then immediately, Jesus is propelled into the wilderness where he is tempted. And then he is back in Galilee proclaiming the gospel. All of this has been given to us in six short verses. Forty days in the wilderness is a long time not to have much detail. Our 40 days is the season of Lent. I believe that Mark invites us to look more closely at ourselves and the temptations that are with us, that are in us, not just those things that tempt us, but those things that we act on. The devil, Satan, or evil, whatever you want to call it, are temptations that we face in our lives daily. Even those things that we hold in secret, those things that we have never shared even with our most intimate partner. Only God and ourselves know what this truly is in us. God's invitation during these 40 days of Lent is to examine our temptations. Jesus' time in the wilderness can be our time in the wilderness for us to use this time in self-examination, recognition, and identification of our temptations and what we do with them 
and about them. We talk about temptation in the context of Jesus and the devil and how Jesus overcomes temptation in the wilderness. Now, when I reference Satan, the devil, or evil, I'm not talking about an entity or a being. I am suggesting those things that we have to battle within us, those things that create our own wilderness. So what is wrong with temptation? It is that our temptation can lead to sin. Temptation, the object itself, is not sin. Our, our participation in the temptation can be sin because it turns us away from God. When we turn toward our temptation and away from God, we put God on our backs. God is now behind us. We are distancing ourselves from God. Following temptation is now our sin and it separates us from God. Pope Gregory I, also known as St. Gregory the Great, had to say this when reflecting on the temptation of Christ. He said that temptation is brought to fulfillment by three stages, suggestion, delight, and consent. So let's examine these three stages of temptation. Stage one, suggestion. We see suggestion all around us, and it comes in many forms. It is in the lives of others, it is on TV, we see suggestion at work, at play, in the world around us. Suggestion is the beginning of temptation. And human temptation has so many variations, flavors, versions, that we may not recognize it. Stage two, delight. Delight is the stage where we first understand that the temptation that is suggested becomes more irresistible. Is the suggestion, which is the object of our temptation, now our delight? Delight deepens the temptation by making us feel good. We can experience delight as anticipation, potential happiness, and feelings of greater fulfillment. Indeed, when the suggestion delights us, we in turn delight in it and look toward the good that we believe we can find in it. But this is a false and empty good, further turning us away from God. Stage three, consent. Consent is when we cave to that delight, when we say yes to the temptation. By giving in to our temptation, it only serves to strengthen it. In this stage, the temptation disappears because we are living in our consent of that desire. In other words, that desire is satisfied and it continues to be satisfied as long as we live in the consent. I believe that our difficulty with temptation lies between stage two and stage three, between delight and consent. It is here where we struggle the most because of our internal 
conversation, our internal dialogue, it attempts to rationalize desire, driving us toward consent. And as you all will probably agree with me, the human mind has an infinite capacity for rationalization. For example, how many times have we presented ourselves with what-if scenarios to justify a positive outcome? One what-if scenario may not be enough to move us from delight to consent. But if the delight is compelling enough, we will rationalize every what-if scenario that we can think of. And when we run out of the what-ifs and we have rationalized all of our delights to the positive or to the good, we think our consent is okay. It is here in stage three, consent, where we lose sight. The darker our thoughts, the less clarity we have. We are blind to the harm caused by having consented to our delights, and thus the blinder we become. And in this blindness, evil seeps in and sin flourishes. The sin that exists because we have consented to our temptations. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only the desire in us is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. The desire aroused, it envelops our minds and our will in deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. So as we search our hearts during these 40 days of Lent, what does temptation look like? I can think of, and we have a lot of examples around in our world we can take a look at. We can see temptation in things we may not, that we may do at work to position ourselves in a better light than our colleagues. Perhaps we think they are subtle or inconsequential, but they are things that can lead to positions possibly of greater pay and power. The temptation of more pay and power can be so desirous that we rationalize this behavior. We need to examine our pride, our envy, and our motives, even at work. We see temptation in our own consumption. The temptation to have the newest, the latest, the most expensive. Throw away your iPhone 6 just because you're too tempted not to get the new iPhone X. When do we know that we have enough? Or how do we know that what we have is sufficient? We see these temptations in the corruption in athletic programs, the desire for more money at the expense of students, academics, and the university. We can also see the temptation in the opioid crisis, where the three stages of temptation, suggestion, delight, consent, can end lives and destroy families. We see the temptation in the overuse of social media, where delight can mean spewing hatred anonymously, and personal relationships 
are relegated to text messages. So how do we deal with temptation? Temptation is in each of us. We cannot escape it. It is a byproduct of our fallen state. We first find it in the Garden of Eden, and we find it again in today's gospel in the wilderness. But like Jesus, we do not face temptations alone. Temptation is not a private affair. For our sake, Jesus broke open temptation. He has drawn the tempter's power toward himself and broken this power in his life with God. The temptations of all of us come to Jesus, his 40 days in the wilderness. He faces our temptation and helps us to overcome it. We do not have the strength to resist these temptations ourselves. It is only in unity in life with Jesus and his love for God that we have the ability to be victorious over temptation. Jesus' victory is our victory. We need to recognize our temptations to understand how and where we begin to move from suggestion to delight to consent. And more importantly, to resist that move, to resist our own rationalization toward consent. We resist by yielding ourselves wholly to God, looking for God's greater strength to do in us what we cannot do ourselves, just as we have seen Jesus do when he was tempted in the wilderness. Now, I asked in the beginning for us to examine ourselves in this story. Do you find yourself in your own wilderness faced with temptation? Lent offers us an opportunity to examine our own temptation. This self-examination can be difficult if we don't recognize the subtleties of temptation and how it leads us astray and turns us away from God. As you identify them, leave them at the altar when you come up for communion. Leave them there for Jesus. You may not be able to identify today and leave them here this week or next week, but I am hopeful that during these 40 days of Lent, you are able to do so before Easter when we celebrate Christ's resurrection and live in the resurrected life, a life that we now share with Jesus, a life where our desires point to and live in God. Amen.